Okay. All right. Yo, what's up? It's your boy, D. Starks. Starks the artist. You are now tuned in to the Just Different Podcast, where we talk everything, faith, life, and culture. Today, we're getting into the problem with living your truth. Currently, right now, a lot of us have like seen, heard, and really understand or recognize the ramifications of what this means and what it looks like when we see people who are telling us to live in the way that best fits what we feel or our own desires and what we want in the moment. And we live in a world right now where everything ends and begins with us. Like what we believe to be right and wrong has nothing to do with what God says, what our parents tell us, or even what the consensus of the culture may even be. But it's determined by how we feel in whatever given moment that is in front of us or whatever we're facing. And when we even think about this, like on the surface, and face value in some ways, like this kind of idea or approach to life seems super harmless, uh, maybe even admirable in some sense. But I think that and know there are some issues that arise in a world where we tell everyone that the only person they are accountable to is themselves and nothing yeah. or no one else. And this is interesting because I was just actually doing an interview for a show and they asked me what I felt the best quality of our generation, Gen Z, was. And without hesitation, I said that it was empathy. And I think that there is a level of like activism that we have. And we, and some, and the person I was talking to said, I totally agree. We aren't too busy to care for others. And I was like, wow, like they put that perfectly. Right. And I really do believe that's a sentiment in the heart that we have. And I think it's something that is admirable. It is beautiful. I think we do want the best for other people and the way that we fight and just advocate for different groups, minorities, or even issues that are happening come from a genuine place. But on the other end of that, the next question was, what do I believe are qualities that we have that may be to our detriment? And my answer was exactly the same because I think that we have such empathy and care and compassion for others. It develops into this tolerance we have for anything. And it, it gets into this point of hyper grace where there's now no line for like what is true and what's not, what is now right, right and what's wrong. And so we see this when it comes to this idea of like, you know, expression of like just living your truth and like what you feel. And as long as it's not harming anyone else, you're okay. But there's a lot more to it. And I mentioned this once, but it's really one of my favorite quotes. And I think that when it comes to it, there comes to this conversation, there is this balance of grace and truth that does need to be present in the world and in our lives and how we even walk out, walk this out as Christians. Um, but it says, truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy. And something that we've heard before in John 1, 14, it speaks to the fact that Jesus came, um, dwelt among us, and he was full of grace and truth, which plays a really significant part in this entire conversation. But we exist and they live and let live society. Um, and in a culture where there's no objective truth and everybody is free to define what is right for themselves, it's almost like, where do we end up? Right. Like now we become the uh, contributors or dictators of morality. And like we are essentially taking the place of God and taking a weight or putting ourselves in a position that we don't even have the capacity for. And, you know, when we take our life in our own hand, we usually know where that ends up. And so I don't know. I was thinking about this and 
had actually wanted to get into it for a minute now. And I believe whenever I was having that conversation about some of the redeeming qualities I love about our generation and what's happening now, this is something that just came to my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And um, everything that you're talking about is reminding me of these videos I've been watching. I've been watching a lot of theological debates or I don't know if I call it that. I think we've all seen those videos on social media where you'll have um, like these notable apologists, like people like uh, people like Cliff. We just said we don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, Cliff. <laughs> people like uh, Frank Turek. And they'll be up on like stages or, you know, Cliff goes to campuses and they'll have people asking them these questions about usually atheists asking them questions about like, yo, why does God do this? And all these moral questions and stuff like that. And in these videos, a very common idea that comes up is this idea of morality. And essentially, there's a lot of different theological arguments, but one of the main ones is the moral theory. And it's something that always comes up in these videos I watch. And it's this theory that there has to be this objective truth outside of us that is dictating the shots. There has to be this objective truth outside of us that's, you know, um, drawing the line between like, you know, what's wrong and what's right. Because if that isn't the case, then truth is simply subjective. It's just chaotic because if how I feel is the truth, which is, I think, this mentality that a lot of people have these days, like you're talking about, then how they feel is the truth and how they feel is the truth. And it's like, no one's right and no one's wrong. And I think when you have a mentality like that, if there's no structure, um, and and I think that objective truth is there. The objective truth is God. And like you're saying, a lot of people are just kind of turning away from it, ignoring it, closing their eyes to it. And a part of our job as believers is to show them like, yo, this is what that is. And also, you know, I was sitting with the topic and I was sitting for a while because I remember when I was first thinking about it, I was like, yo, I, nothing was coming to mind. I'm like, yo, what is speaking to me about this conversation? Like, what what do I want to speak to? What's coming to mind? So I was sitting for a little bit and then I started thinking about what's really at the core of this conversation. And I landed here and I think a part of it really is uh, like a rebellion against authority. And I was thinking about how this this what I say goes mentality that I think the culture is being pushed into can be partially due to, and for some, what feeds into it is maybe just bad models of authority. Um, so for example, for some people, it's their parents. Like maybe you had a parent that you feel like they just abused their their power or like that position that they had as your parent, as someone who was like the author, authoritative figure. Maybe, you know, there's been bad models like even law enforcement and society. Um, there's many different examples, but I think that feeds into this mentality because it's like for so long, it was like, you know, I had someone that I was answering to for so long. I had someone that was calling the shots and maybe it didn't end the best for me. Maybe it ended ended bad. And now it's like, forget about it. Like now, now it ends with me and it starts with me or it starts with me and it ends with me. It used to start with someone else. And then I guess, like I said, as a rebel, a rebellious type of act or as a, uh, maybe even getting back at them, it's like, no, I don't answer to anyone anymore. Like I did that once. And like I said, the way that it ended, I'm cool off that. Like now it's just me. I'm answering to myself. Forget about all of that. And, and I, and it's led to maybe even just like a fear of answering to someone else. Um, a fear of having someone outside of you that is objective, that is, you know, telling you what is right and what's wrong. Um, 
But I think the, the problem isn't that someone's in authority. I think the problem is who you have in authority. I think that's that's the issue with a lot of these examples. And I think in, in some situations, you know, the sphere of what you can control is kind of small. But I think in a general sense, it's not about who you have in authority. And And I wrote down, like, it's not about the problem is less about you having a throne on your heart and more about who you have sitting on it. Um, and that's the, that's what we need to make people recognize because we talk about it before. Sometimes you can look at God through the lens of your past, through the lens of, um, other people who have hurt you in the past. And it's like now when someone's telling me there's this God that's above me, it's like, nah, because it's like, I, I got hurt by someone that I used to answer to. I got hurt by someone who used to be in a position like that. And maybe some people are, you know, projecting that onto their relationship with God, but it's understanding that authority isn't the problem because I think that's how some people probably feel and what leads to this mentality. And whenever I was thinking about it, when it comes to this idea of like living our truth, something that I didn't really recognize initially, whenever I was even thinking about it and was acknowledging was the fact that we are still falling for the same lie that we can be like God. When it comes to the rhetoric that are around these particular ideas, it essentially represents like God-like characteristics. So when we hear things like be your own God or decide what's good for you, or you're the source of your morality or you're enough Mm -hmm. for yourself, these are things that are now putting ourselves as the particular like to what you mentioned, the authoritative a figure of our life, which is extremely contradictory to the nature of what the gospel presents and what our confession is to him when it comes to lordship, that I now lo- no longer have control. And mm. it is he who knows what's best and calls the shots for my life. And this is interesting because this is one of the first times in history i'm reading this book um that i mentioned before just um really regarding like gen z and what's happening and it mentions the fact this is the first period of time in which morality is from us right we're not seeking it from an institution or gods that we create or even the things that we make when it comes to whether that be social media or when it comes to anything monetary or what the world deems as what is appealing right now we are what's appealing and Mm. this directly ties into even what was taking place in the garden the same lie that was presented to humanity at the beginning of the creation is the same cycle battle and fight that we're going through now and i'm going to recap for those who don't know or haven't necessarily heard in a while but This is basically when the serpent, you know, approaches Eve initially and is persuading or trying to prompt her to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And so this is in Genesis 3. It starts in verse 1. I'm going through all the way to verse 7. But it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Then verse four is where this really all starts and where it comes from. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the lore or 
what appeased Eve in terms of what the even motivation or inclination to want to disobey God and go against his wishes of what he said was best wasn't just because it was pleasing to the eye or we felt like it was going to be good for physical consumption. The idea was this would also put me in a position where I was also in authority, that I was like God. Then it goes on to say that when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig trees together and or they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. And so again, like with what the serpent presents to her, and then as it describes that as she knew it looked good and pleasing for the eye, but also what was desirable was the potential or this alleged um, ability to almost be like God himself. And so now we see the same scenario playing out within the culture. It sounds a lot different. It originates in a different way, but it's another iteration of what the enemy wants us to do, that we know what that putting us in a place and perspective that we're deceived, that we really know what's best for us over God. And when I was thinking about this even further, what was interesting to me was what the tree of knowledge of good and evil really represented. Like what was so significant about this act that it changed all of humanity forever. Mm. And it was something that I never really questioned or I hadn't really delved into or asked myself in a really long time. So I'm just going through all of these like footnotes, these theological references, and really trying to find the symbolism, the metaphor of like, all right, what does that mean? Like, what did they really do? And what did that, um, essentially, what state did that put them in after they did that? And essentially, before they ate of the tree, Adam was not aware of anything evil. He only knew what was good. So he had no inclination to disobey God from his natural being. It had to come from someone else. So that's why the serpent comes in and he's persuading Eve because they have no desire within them. They're not privy to that type of desire. So while Adam and Eve only knew good before eating from the tree, when they did, what happened was good and evil bonded together in an intimate and inseparable way. So this idea of good and evil now was indistinguishable from one another. And this action in its totality gave birth to doubt and uncertainty to humanity. And so what does Adam do right after he eats? He essentially, he hides from God, right? And even though Adam knew God better than any man in history and should have known that this was impossible, right? Like how can you actually hide yourself from the presence or who God is? Adam was no longer certain of God's true nature. So uncertainty like entered the world and it does not depart until like we're ultimately reunited with God. And so this is why we are told to rely on God to tell us what is right or wrong and not lean on our understanding. And so because fear, Mm. doubt, and uncertainty was entered into the world by this act, we decided to make decisions for ourselves. So this was the first time in Adam's life and his history that he stops walking with God and takes life into his own hands. And so this all came from just this desire to, you know, be like, so this all came from this 
persuasion that all right. like, you could possibly be like God in some way. And so just like in its totality, like the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents taking the authority to do what is good in your own eyes. Hmm. And so when I was even looking into this further, I found like this video on Bible Project that was even breaking this down. It was talking about like the garden and how the trees were um, within this garden with some biblical scholar interpretation were essentially one of the central parts of this particular space. And so you have the tree of life that's mentioned that God said they could eat from. And that represents God's life and creative power that's made available to everyone. And so these were very ever-present and you could recognize them and they stood out. And the issue is the fact that both of these trees are beautiful, but one of them is a false tree of life. And so it then kind of made this really interesting parallel of kind of fast forwarding to the story of Moses, whenever he has to go up to a burning bush and what's there is the consuming fire of the presence of God, right? And then he gives him an invitation to his people to follow me or the gods that you particularly worship. And so essentially you see this dynamic that starts in the garden all throughout the Old Testament, even present where now we are in between and have to choose between the true tree of life mm -hmm. and the false trees of life that we create. And so in Moses' time, it was, are you going to follow God or the deities that you all have created right. for yourself? But typically in a lot of these scenarios, ultimately every time these idols or these false trees, we decide to give our allegiance to always lead to our own self-destruction. And that's the question that we were posed with then. And we continue to have now, like which tree will you choose? Like, is it going to be the tree of life or the one that is false that gives you this illusion, this perception and or this potential of being able to gain X, Y, and Z or possess whatever it is you believe it can give you, but it ultimately leaving you empty in the end. And so that's what I just ended with. It's like, all right, like, will mm -hmm. you choose the false tree mm -hmm. of life? And I think that it just completely made it like, and for me, it all made sense. And it was just, you know, a 180, a full circle of, oh, Okay, I see what's happening, right? But the it, again, to my point, like I see what's happening now. But again, to my point, the difference in the time that we're in now is a false tree isn't another god; it's ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 the tree of life that represents God and His sovereignty and His holiness and His righteousness and His divine nature and revelation. And we have the false tree, which is now us. Mm -hmm. our emotions, mm -hmm. our desires, what, where we are in a moment or in a season and what we believe to be best from our own vantage point. And we have to choose which tree we want to eat from. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's, that's exactly. so crazy. And it just all ties in. It's still the same lie the enemy is telling us that he's coming up to us to say of like, yo, exactly. do you want to be like God? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, yo, this is pleasing. This looks nice. This will put you in a great position. This will kind of free you a bit. This is liberating. This will make you feel the best and put you in a position where you can do what you want as you want, when you want. Exactly. But where does it ultimately end? And this isn't just for the world, but also the church too, mm. right? We can also get in moments where we neglect the allegiance that we said we have for in sure. our Lord and take it upon ourselves. Yeah. And so this is a message 
that I've also had to look into and remind myself of revisit because there are moments where, all right, yeah, I've committed my life to you. And I say that's your Lord, but you know, in, in seasons and moments where I feel my way is best and I take on the seat itself. So I thought it was all full circle and all it's doing is trying to diminish the role that God has in our life. So it's like, okay, the enemy is in a position where he is maybe okay with your profession as him as savior, but as long as he doesn't actually become Lord of your life while you're here on earth. right? And that's the battle. This isn't about the left or right or some sort of ideology. Like all of this has spiritual implication. Right. And the whole time that you were talking, I guess the contrast that was coming to my mind is freedom and bondage. When you were talking about the serpent tempting Eve and talking about the, the authentic tree of life and the false trees, I was thinking about freedom and bondage and how true freedom is only found in God and everything else is bondage, point blank, period. Like those are the only two options when it comes to this conversation and what we're talking about, that that's it. Everything else is bondage. And like you were saying, I think that's also what the enemy was trying to convince Eve of was like, he he was trying to get her to believe that we, she was being suppressed in some sort of way, right? That she was being bound in some sort of way. Like, yo, like you eat of this tree, you're going to know this. There's more on the other side. There's more. Right. So I think that's even at the core, what he was trying to do was trying to convince her that she was being suppressed. And so, so it's, so it's bondage and freedom. But like you were saying, the, the what's dangerous about now is I can look at, be, I can look at someone worshiping a statue and notice how that, that that's that's bondage. I can see the bondage in that. Like that just seems like, yo, you're what do you mean? Like a statue, like you're you're still bound, you're still stuck to something, right? I can see maybe even like if I if I run to alcohol or if I run to drugs, I can see how that seems like bondage. But it's like when I'm only answering to myself, I think I think that tree is the false tree that that looks real close, right? It looks real close to the real one. Cause it's like it it doesn't it doesn't seem as much like bondage as all the other things like you're saying because it's like I answer to myself, but understanding literally anything but submission to God is still bondage, even if it's you answering to yourself, right? Your mind isn't above God's. You know what I mean? Like that's 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 still bondage, and so I think that's also what the conversation comes down to as well. It's like understanding, okay, what is true freedom? Because that's what the enemy is trying to convince us of. Like, you're not really free if you're submitted to God, right? You're bound. You can't do what you want when you want to do it. But understanding, like, true life is only found in submission to him. And and I'm glad you kind of, I'm glad you brought up how this also still applies to believers. Because God really has been convicting me lately about about how self-dependent I can get throughout my days, right? So so it's it's to the point where I can wake up and give God my first. I give God my first fruits. I wake up, I pray, I read, I start off my day good. Start off my end off my day well. But it's like that in between when I'm at work or um I'm driving home little stuff like that that I'm I'm doing things in my own strength like these these like little stuff and I think God wants us to be purely dependent on him. And there's times that I've noticed throughout my day where I do answer to myself. I don't go to, I don't ask questions to God about, or even 
something happens at work, someone says something, I'm getting a little frustrated. There's moments where I don't pray like, yo, God, like, give me, give me patience, give me strength. And that's, that, that's me low key declaring I can handle this on my own. And I think we have to get to the point where we, we're fully dependent on God, like fully submitted with everything. Cause sometimes we, we look at things, small things, and I put that in quotes because they're not small. Submission is submission and the big things in the little. So I'm glad you brought that up because that has been something God has been convicting me about. It's like being fully dependent on Him. So yeah. And, what I believe has happened, this is a bit of a different point, but it's like our morality has almost been diluted as a culture. Mm-hmm. And it essentially says that as long as you don't hurt uh, or affect anyone right. else, you're okay. That there is nothing wrong in their taking place. There is no specific standard or principles that we're standing by, but as long as this doesn't affect them, right? I know we've heard it a few times before, like, well, they're not doing anything to anyone else. They're not, you know, affecting the world mm-hmm. in a quote unquote negative way. But I do believe it's getting to a point to where even though this doesn't necessarily affect anyone else, where does this put me in my standing with God? And that's where the shift happens because, you know, he is the end and beginning of morality, our basis of righteousness and what that is, is based within him. And the fact that the idea of truth is a person and he was the driving force to signal the barometer and the standard for it all. As like he spoke himself, like in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so. I believe that having just that basis, acknowledging, impressing into that more is so important. And then that just goes into the point that you made about this idea of freedom, right? Because again, like if it's hard to really see any negatives, drawbacks or consequence to Mm -hmm. this level of like thinking like, okay, like what is wrong with me? you know, living out like my desires, like what, what is the issue with me going based upon like my passion and what my heart says, you know, it's almost romanticized, it's glamorous, it's even empowering in a lot of sense. Right. And yeah, hold on. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I I wanted to interject right here because something just came to my mind specifically about that. I think the the reason why it is, is because um, if if submission is bondage, then idolatry is liberation. And we love a liberation story. So it's like, if if being submitted to God, which is a false misconception, but if I have that misconception that being submitted to God is bondage and being submitted to anything, then the moment that I, I live my truth, right, I'm being liberated. So people are like, oh my gosh, like, look, they're living their truth, they're being liberated. It's like, that just feeds into the false misconception though. And that's why I celebrate it. But I just wanted to, I wanted to add that. No, that makes sense. And even with all of that, the idea of what submission is, has become so like screwed. It's a very, has a negative connotation. It's almost like taboo. It's not something that you say. And if it, you do say it, it's more derogatory and there's no context for what that looks like in the sense of, our relationship with God in a way that actually brings us the most joy, peace, strength, hope 
for the future and our right now. And I think also what stood out to me whenever I was going back through Genesis and the story of the fall and what all that looked like, what stood out, um, what really caught my eye was the idea that before they were exposed to the knowledge of good and evil, um, the implication there is the fact that Adam, along with Eve, only knew good. Like they were in their purest form walking with God with no acknowledgement or desire for anything else. And so that was interesting to me because, and this is just a thought, but that almost made me think and believe that we don't even have the capacity to hold this particular knowledge that we have. And so like in the sense of we were only made to be directed by him. We, we, we were never supposed to be in that particular seat right. or position to be the, we're great managers. We're horrible masters. Like we were, we were never meant to be the one dictating everything, um, calling the shots and or making the plays that was reserved for him. And that's how we were initially created. Yeah. And so along with everything else, when I think about, you know, when it talks about in Proverbs, like lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him is not because it, it's, it's because our knowledge and our own understanding is fallible and ineffective, but it's also because we don't have the capacity mm. to even look toward the future or right. past, like our right now to like, be in the seat that he has to like make all these decisions for ourselves, you know? And so I was even thinking about that aspect of how we were initially even created. Like we don't have the shoulders, the emotional capacity, the mind in order to intellect to be a master. Right. So that's, I was even thinking like, man, why you, why do you, no wonder we get so stressed when we're thinking too far into the future. Mm. or even too far into the past. Yeah. We don't have the capacity for that. No. Like think about all the times you've been worried or mm -hmm. stressed, like when it comes to what are you going to do next or what the next move is? Why is that so overwhelming? Why does that literally like completely disorient your emotions, your spirit, your mind, even your body? It's because that's not a position we were ever supposed to be in. Right. And so I was like, wow, like that makes that much sense as well. Like, all right, give it to me, allow me to handle it. Not because, you know, what people may think I'm trying to like control and, or take all of this away from you. It's because yo, like, I love you that much. Like one, I know what's best mm -hmm. for you. And then two, like, I know what's best for you. Like mm -hmm. you can't do that. Right. I don't want you to have to hold that weight of the future yeah. of, your, of who you are, of how you need to figure that out. Like I want to give that to you graciously. Yeah, that, that just reminded me of this verse my girl has sent me um, like two days ago, maybe. And this is in the Amplified version, which I love. It says, well, it's 2 Corinthians 4, 7. I was about to forget the address. It says, but we have this precious treasure, the good news about salvation and unworthy earthen vessels of human frailty so that the grandeur and surpassing greatness of the power will be shown to be from God, his sufficiency and not from ourselves. And then she kind of wrote a note at the bottom of it. She said, I believe one of the reasons God chose us is because of our deep dependence on him. He chose us because we lack sufficiency without him. And so it brings him greater glory. And I just kind of like, it just speaks to what you're saying. Like we were never meant to be ultimate leader. Like 
that's not the way that God built us. God built us to have relationship with him. He built us to walk with him. He did not build us to walk outside of him. He did not build us to walk by ourselves. So anytime you attempt to do that, it's just going to tear you apart. Like, like you said, like our shoulders weren't built for that. That verse literally just spoke so great to it. So I'm glad it came to mind. A thousand percent. And this goes back to what we talked about when it came to fame. You know, like yeah. our shoulders weren't meant to hold mm-hmm. the weight of this glory. Right. So even when you think about a lot of these snares, these traps, like this deception, a lot of this is just getting us outside the position of what we are originally created to be and do. Yeah. And that like that's the trap. You know, like in like again, like I didn't even realize some mm-hmm. of these things of like, oh wow, like this is us stepping into not just any position that's outside of God. We are in his spot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's right. like levels to what this is and what it can look like in different moments, seasons, and for different people. But I think um, that's where, you know, it all ends and lands is he knows what's best and wants what's best mm-hmm. always and ultimately. And, you know, just find rest for your soul, like in him, like just continue to think about how far you've been able to get yourself and what that's led you to. And understand that there is something that much more and like greater, yeah. you know, and that that's not weight that you have to carry, nor, you know, whatever the repercussions of what it's been that you continually have to live. Yeah, I think, uh, man, I'm, I, I didn't think that the conversation was going to end here, but I'm glad it did. I just wanted to reiterate really the the part about our dependence on him and how that's the way that we were created. And that's something that God has been walking me through and really harping on me about like the past two weeks, like being completely dependent on him, right? His strength, his provision, uh, his his attributes, his character, and never c- coming out of that, right? Because anytime that I do, it's a declaration that, like we've been saying that like, yo, I, I'm good enough to take on this weight, or it's a declaration that um, I'm built to sit on this throne. So recognizing that that's just not the case at all. So, yeah. And I think ending, this comes to my mind when it comes to like dependency on God. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of different things. But one, I remember when I was interviewing uh, Emmy Moore, she mentioned something about the fact that Jesus or God was literally air. It was her oxygen and like without him, like she couldn't breathe. And it's so interesting. Just drawing that parallel to the story of creation that God always created the environment that the creation needed to survive in. So he would create the sea for the fish. He would create the land for the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. And so what did he do for us? He created his presence, the garden, right? An open door to heaven. He created that. And then he placed us in the environment that we were meant to survive and sustain in, right? And so imagine a bird without air. Imagine the beast without the field. Imagine the fish without the sea. Like that is us outside of him, that that was our original design for us to operate in. And we can try and move outside of that, but we're always going to be at a deficiency. right? And so- yeah, that's coming to my mind now. I think that's, that's ultimately where we land yeah. of, yo, it's him and him alone, mm-hmm. um, because that's exactly how we were designed um, 
And so, yeah, I think just leaving y'all with that um, when it comes to like, you know, living your truth and what that is and what it ends with um, is him. And, you know, as you continue to walk in that, you see why that is and how that changes everything. So, man, y'all know what it is. Enjoy y'all's weekend. Please. I got do. a lot coming up. So we're going to have a huge recap probably Wednesday, honestly. I like when we come in here, we can just talk. I'm going to, I'm in New York with it right now. You feel me? You heard. I don't even know what the area code is here for real, but I'm lit. I'm about to be at an NBA game Sunday. I got, you know, NBA one of my friends crazy. coming in the city tomorrow. But yeah, we lit. I'm going, to a, I'm going to a little comedy, like, show tomorrow. Dang. I'm really out here, you know. I'm making moves. What you, what you doing this weekend? Let's just say you uh, let, Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just say you about to, right. you about to carry right. the recap, bro. Let's just say that. No, nah, fact. But no, nah, look, y'all enjoy y'all's weekend. Um, we love y'all. And as always, stay you. Stay real. Let's stay humble. We'll catch y'all next week. Much love.